Hello, my friend. Welcome to the Believe You Are a Good Mom podcast. I'm Emily Wardrop from Drop the Word Life Coaching, where we help moms of young kids drop power struggle wars to create more peace in their parenting. Do you want to be a good mom? I will tell you the one simple secret of how to be a good mom. You already are. Don't believe me? You've come to the right place. I'm glad you're here. I've got you. Because when you truly believe you are a good mom, everything will change for you as you live into the truth of who you've always been. Let's get started. All right. Welcome back to the Believe You Are a Good Mom podcast. I'm so excited to have Leah Davidson here with me today. Leah, do you want to introduce yourself? We'll just jump into that. Sure. So I am a coach and also a speech pathologist. I'll tell you about that in a minute. And I live in Toronto, Ontario, Canada um, with my husband. We have a blended family of five kids. Um, they are all headed into young adulthood. So our family is quickly expanding in numbers as a couple of them have, you know, partners, but it's shrinking at home. Um, I, I call myself sort of the stress burnout resilience coach. And my favorite thing to talk about is the nervous system. So I'm sure we're going to dive into that and how it impacts parenting. Um, I also am a speech language pathologist. And for the past two decades, I've been working specifically in the area of cognitive communication and traumatic brain injury. And that is sort of where my interest in the brain started, just learning learning all about how to work with people, help them after they've suffered traumatic brain injuries and learning the about neuroplasticity and then the nervous system and mindset and how it all puts pulls together. And, and then when I found coaching, it was really just marrying the two worlds. And uh, that's where I'm at today. Awesome. That's so fun. So uh, traumatic brain injury, right? So we hear the word trauma, it's kind of even like a buzzword now, which is yeah. great that it's becoming more mainstream to even think about because it's like, it seems like trauma used to be, oh, that's PTSD if you were in war right. or maybe if you were yeah. in a car accident or got abused, yeah, exactly. like really big. Yeah. But literally our brains, like any little thing, they think is yeah. an injury, right? That's right. So it's so yeah. interesting how you've actually worked with like legit brain injuries and it's the exact same tools that help us in our day-to-day That's right. brain yeah. injuries. Yeah. So they divide trauma or they, I mean, they still do. And it is kind of helpful just for classifications into sort of big T and little T and big T traumas are those things like you think about war or what I've been working with traumatic brain injuries, people have accidents. So these are sort of the obvious traumas. The little T traumas are the everyday things because really trauma is not what happens to you. Um, to use Gabor Mate's definition, it's what happens in you based on what happens to you. Yeah. So it, it really is an internal response because lots of people can, lots of people actually can have a big T trauma, like accidents. A lot of them will have PTSD because of what happens inside of them and sort of their identity crisis and the things they go through. But it's not always the case because some people, um, there's just different skills. We have different resilience levels, different genetics, different outlook on life. There's so many different things that impact our, our own personal experiences. And then smaller T traumas 
often are cumulative and we have all experienced trauma. There's not one person who has not experienced trauma. It's just sort of the degree and the tools we've had and how we've learned to cope. And I do think it's a buzzword right now, thankfully, really, because people are starting to understand that actually what happened to you in the past does make a difference now. Mm-hmm. It's not sort of, it used to be cliche, roll your eyes. Oh yeah. Talk about your childhood, blame it all on your parents. Mm-hmm. And while we're not going to blame it all on our parents, because our parents can just turn around and blame it on their parents and their yeah. parents and their parents, we do have the recognition that things happen and how people experience those things impacts how they move forward with life in many, many areas. Yeah. I really like how science has kind of validated the the um like the coach thing that the circumstance is neutral and then it's your thoughts about it that create your experience in the right. way that you just described how two people can experience the same even big t trauma and not yeah. have the same experience yeah. of that circumstance yeah and I'll- it's not even conscious thoughts necessarily right. It's, yeah, it's the subconscious nervous system right. reaction to it. Yeah. So sometimes we use the model to beat ourselves up. Oh, why can't I just thought work my way through this? But it's not in the conscious brain. Right. It's, it's just yeah. the way your body reacted. And it's not a bad thing. It just is the way it is. Right. And so right. reckon. Oh, sorry. I'll let you talk. I was just going to say, because I obviously, you know, go with the model circumstance, you can have your thoughts about the circumstance. And that's absolutely true. Um, I always say to my clients, and when I work with people, and I I actually am doing a training for coaches right now, all about advanced um, nervous system resilience, because between circumstance and thought, there is a space. And that space is your physiological, your biological response, which puts you in a certain state of your nervous system. So when you walk into or presented or faced with a circumstance, any kind of circumstance, whether it be another person, a situation, your past, your nervous system is constantly scanning. And it's scanning safety, danger, safety, danger. That's all it's looking for. It's it's a, it's actually safety, danger, and extreme life threat. So it's sort of three choices. And it will put you into a certain state, depending on what the circumstance, what you're picking up, we call it what you're neurocepting. So it's almost like that subtle cues, what you're reading in the environment, what you're feeling in your body, what you're sensing in the energy between us, that will put you in a certain state. And based on that state, it is the filter from which you see everything. Mm -hmm. So your thoughts are going to be flavored with that state. And then from their thoughts creates your feelings, create your actions and so forth. And that's, I think, a piece that um, we have been missing. We we, we sort of skip Mm -hmm. over recognizing that, hey, there is a physiological thing that's going Mm -hmm. on when we're confronted with things that does impact our thinking, our feeling, our actions, and our results. And we need to take care of that piece. And that piece for me and and what I teach is the nervous system. Yeah. Yeah. That's so fun because before coaching, it was like, oh, wait, there's a space between circumstance and feeling, <laughs> you know, right. I just want to blame. I'm so irritated because my kid is doing whatever. Exactly. And then it's just our brain on default 
is used to going straight to that feeling, but slowing it down and even figuring out what that thought was, was, was a lot of work. And then now it's like, oh wait, there's a space even before the thought. And so it's all super interesting. Um, speaking of kids annoying us, right? So the, (laughs) the thing I want to talk about, (laughs) yes. (laughs) So it's really, I love the science because I feel like it validates my experience. So I'm not just crazy. I'm not just an impatient mom. I'm not a terrible mom. I am a good mom that has a nervous system that's working correctly. (laughs) Right. That's right. Exactly. And so not to blame it all on that and not even have to work on it, but to realize like, I don't have to beat myself up. Oh, what's wrong with me? Why can't I stop yelling at the kids? Why can't I just keep it together? Or this is my new one. Why do I wake up at the butt crack of dawn to do meditation? And as soon as the kids are awake, I'm irritated anyway. I'm I'm trying to calm my nervous system all morning. And then the stimulus comes and it's just back to old patterns. Yeah, It's like understanding that these things take time and Mm -hmm. intention and a lot of time. (laughs) And that it's okay. We can learn. Uh, I mean, that's our whole goal is that we we do want to learn how to work with our nervous system, but it does take time. And that's, you know, the whole concept of neuroplasticity. We talk a lot about your ability to rewire your brain in terms of your thoughts, which absolutely, but we can rewire our nervous system as well. Mm-hmm. Our nervous system, you know, it's shaped by, um, our experiences, it, it's it's shaped starting when we're in utero and it's very connected to our caregivers, very connected to our mother because we feel her nervous system. And then as young children, um, the young child, when they are born, they are looking to parents um, to co-regulate with. They don't have the ability to regulate their own nervous system. So as a parent, you are that person. And if you think I sort of look back and I'm like, oh, gee, I was responsible for that because I didn't have a good grip on it myself. And that's what happens, right, is our children, they're looking to us. We don't necessarily know how to co-regulate because we were looking to our parents who didn't know and looking to their parents. And so it sort of continues along. But when we can start learning at this stage, oh, it is my nervous system. What can I do to learn how to regulate myself? What can I do to learn how to um, live within my nervous system? I can then teach it to my kids. So, and I can co-regulate with them. So as much as I give myself grace when I'm like, okay, that was just my nervous system. That's just what's happening. I also now can look at my kids Mm -hmm. and when they are having a reaction and my kids are all a little bit older now. um, But when they are having a reaction, I could just look at it with, oh, they're not trying to irritate me. They're not trying to be annoying. They're not trying to do blah, blah, blah. It's their nervous system. Yeah. It's their nervous system. What can I do to help support their nervous system to find safety? Because really the nervous system is all about craving safety. And that's what we're trying to create. And then ironically, the opposite happens. So the kid is whining and then that triggers my, (laughs) my mommy, (laughs) physiology, you know, because I'm wired to take care of their needs. So if That's they're right. whining, then they must need something, but it like grates on my nervous system. That's like right. no other, that whiny voice. Right. That's and right. so then I'm dysregulated. They're dysregulated. And it's all a big mess. It's all so a big mess. I can remember. And then of course we learn these things and we want our kids to do it. I'm like, Oh, they're pitching a fit. Let me teach them how to breathe. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. And that's us. true. Yeah. That and also when not. I say teach them, it's really modeling them. Yes. Like, you know, like 
as kids get older, you can be a little bit more directive and like, Hey, why don't you try that? But when they're younger, it's really, they're just watching you Mm -hmm. and, and they're looking for cues from you. They're looking from how you approach them and they're reading that that's teaching them how to regulate themselves by watching you regulate you and how you deal with them when they're dysregulated. So it, but it's a learning process. We don't have to be perfect about it. We, you know, what just even sometimes the awareness can make such a difference. It removes that, like you had said earlier, that shame and that blame and all those negative, that inner critic that, oh, you're such a terrible mother. Now I'm a mother who has a nervous system that I am learning how to regulate. Yeah. Yeah. Simple as that. It's a skill that we were not taught, but I also am thinking that previous generations didn't really need it as much as we did because they didn't have, you know, the food and the screen time and the sleep problems and the, all the things that are like, it's right. I feel like we're David against Goliath on the sugar company yeah. and the, all yeah. the things, you know? And so just the world in which we live is very dysregulating <laughs> to right. our nervous system. Exactly. Just yeah. We playing have a video things, game dysregulates totally, totally. the nervous system. So right. we have, um, you know, connection is one of the ways that we regulate ourselves. And you look at the amount of connection that people had previously versus now. Um, we have a lot less connection. People are connecting through technology and social media. And just by nature of that, there's a lot of comparison. It's very fast paced. It's not necessarily real. And so that in itself is very dysregulating. We also are living in a culture where we have access to information so quickly. And if you look at what's on the news, really the news is just watching the news. You know, I talk about secondary um, traumatic stress and collective traumatic stress just by watching the news we are experiencing trauma and um, this is something that our news is very fear-based like you just think we just came out of COVID I mean talk about an environment where it was so driven by fear whether or not it was accurate to you know I don't want to get into that but just every time you turned on a, a TV news there was something that was scary yeah. and we were um, driven by that and that has is consistent you watch the news it's about accidents it's about shootings it's about no these are all things that are happening mm-hmm. but we don't have a balance of the other side of things, which, which heightens our, our nervous system. We become hypervigilant. We don't feel safe in the world anymore. We don't feel safe in schools. We don't feel safe walking down the street. That has a huge impact on your nervous system. So yes, I would agree that it's, I'm sure that there was a lot of different things that they had to deal with in the past, but we are dealing with this technology, this fast pace, this immediate in your face, which is collectively causing a lot of trauma. Yeah. Yeah. They had to deal with things that I cannot even imagine on basic human need level. Right. And now that we have those so easy, then we have to make it complicated on a more. (laughs) That's right emotional level and all that's right yeah yeah it's more emotionally dangerous they they had to deal with a lot more of that physical danger Mm -hmm. we're dealing with this emotional danger which our our brain doesn't recognize the difference between a real and perceived threat so it treats everything like it is a real threat that we have to protect ourselves we have to go into fight flight freeze we have to do that and which is not the case. And we are not meant to be living in survival mode all the time, exactly. which a lot of the time we are. 
like just, yeah. just getting through the day, we feel it. And I think a lot of parents, especially during COVID, it was just survival mode. We're meant to have survival and come back, you know, peak up with stress and then come back to home. And we're not able to do that when we're constantly bombarded with the signals of danger. Yeah. And when I learned that every time you're interrupted, cortisol is released. I was like, mm -hmm. oh, my whole life is validated now. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm like, See, I'm not just a grumpy mom. I'm like, I'm constantly, literally constantly interrupted. I can't yeah. do one thing and complete it without 75 interruptions, you know? That's right. And yeah. so it, that cortisol is literally pumping through my veins all the time. I'm in fight or flight all the time. Mm -hmm. And like I said, our phys our biology is like when the baby whines were like supposed yeah. to get irritated by that in order to meet their needs. Right. right? And right. so it's a lot when you're a new mom. And as you, you know, add more and more littles into the house, you're mm -hmm. literally in fight or flight all day. Like we mm -hmm. have to find the times to regulate our nervous systems in order to co-regulate with them in order to just keep our sanity in order to do all the yeah. things that are needed yeah. of us without burning out. Right. And so can you give us some practical takeaways? Like how do you actually do that? How do we regulate? So, so one of the things that you were saying, you, you know, you're in constant fight or flight and that becomes the biggest problem is that it's almost like we've changed the, the setting on your system that where safety was, there's no longer a space because you're spending so much time um, being dysregulated. I refer to it, you know, for people, I say, it's like we have a home base where we feel safe. And that home base is where you're going to have access to compassion and creativity and kindness and tolerance and resilience. But as you are constantly dysregulated, you leave that zone and you move up. I call it moving up into what I call team hyper. You become hyper aroused all the time. That becomes your new home. And so you're spending all your time there that even coming back down to safety feels dysregulating. So that's why a lot of um, a lot of moms, a lot of people in general, when they spend time in team hyper, they're chronically busy, they're frantic, they probably are buzzing on some level of anxiety. They're just constantly maybe they're defensive, they're irritable, they're annoyed. You know, we recognize all these things as moms. And then when we say to them, do something like, oh, you just need to relax, you mm -hmm. just need to they're, they don't even know what relaxation looks like. Yeah. And when they do relax, it doesn't feel good. It mm -hmm. feels uneasy because they have not spent enough time. So the first thing that I usually encourage people is we do have to build up your zone of safety a little bit more. You do have to start with just tiny and, you know, just like dipping into it. Is there something throughout the day that you can do that just calms you down for a minute or so, even 30 seconds. And I usually start with breath with people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just starting taking like, can you throughout the day? Cause often, you know, people will say, I don't have time. I don't have time. Well, you're breathing anyways. Mm -hmm. So if you're breathing, then what you're going to do is just extend your exhalation just by a little beat. There's actually something called the physiological sigh, which right now has the research behind it has shown is the best way for you to just reduce your anxiety on the spot. And really it's sort of two quick inhalations followed by a longer exhalation. And, and if you can just do that periodically, what it's doing is it's not going to be like, and then you're like, oh, that's it. The rest of my day is done. It's not going to work like that. But what it does is it's just, it's sort of like building up 
a little bit like that drop of water in a bucket, you're putting that drop of water in there. And then throughout your day, you do it again. There's another drop of water and another drop of water. I'm from Canada, originally from Quebec. And there's something called, um, uh, we have a lot of maple maple trees. And so this is Canada's known for maple syrup. And there's something called sugaring off is when you, you go up into where they have these maple syrup. I think they call them maple farms. I'm not even sure. And on the bucket, on the trees, they have a bucket. And when you go there, they show you the process. And the process first starts with like, they put a little tap in the tree and you look at the bucket and it's like one drip every I don't know. It feels like a long time, like maybe every five minutes, maybe every minute and you watch it and it's a sap coming out of the tree and then they move you along and all of a sudden the bucket's full and then they take the bucket and they bring it to this huge vat where they boil it and they boil it down and it turns into maple syrup and then they pour it in the snow and you rub your popsicle stick in it or you twist it in it and then you eat it. It's like this taffy mixed with snow. It's really delicious. But I was always amazed and I still am. How does that drop become the bucket, become the vat that gets boiled down, becoming the maple syrup? And I remind myself every single day when I'm taking that breath, that even though it's just a drop, it's going to get to the bucket. And the more you do it, the more your, your brain starts to recognize, oh, there's some relaxation again. There's some relaxation again. So the breathing, I would say you, you don't want to go without. The other thing that I teach my clients and it is one of my favorite things to do is what I call the rag doll. Stress cannot exist in a relaxed body. Like this is something that they've known. Stress and anxiety cannot exist when your body is relaxed. So if you can take a second to just completely relax your body and the rag doll is where you just like literally think of, you know, dropping. I have, um, you know, uh, if you think of, um, a toy story, I had one of my clients share this with me and I thought, Oh, that's genius. It's like, when you think of all the toys, Mm -hmm. And the toys are doing all their thing and they're moving around. And then, you know, Andy's coming in the door. Yeah. And yeah. everybody just falls down. And I know they have like on YouTube, the Andy's coming free dance, freeze dance. And I'm like, <laughs> we need to be doing the Andy's coming nervous system regulation because that's essentially what it is. Every once in a while, you just need to drop the stress from the body. Again, it's not like, oh, and I feel great. And the rest of my life, I'm going to be calm. But what it does is it's building up your zone of safety. Your body is recognizing more and more that it is, oh, it feels good to be relaxed. I can do this. And those are two things that you can do, like just online in life, just continuing mm -hmm. You're walking with your kids to the park. You just sort of you know, I, we yeah. went on a family trip to New York city in January and we just, I mean, I think we walked like 30,000 steps <laughs> and at the end, and it's with all my kids and I love my kids. Like we all love our kids, but we all know, even when uh -huh. your kids get older, you just like, sometimes they just drive you crazy and the bickering and the, you know, the comments. And at one point I was, we were sitting by a fountain and I just stood up and I totally just ragdolled. I just leaned over. I sort of shook it all out. And my daughter-in-law who, who knows this technique, she's like, are you ragdolling? And I'm like, oh, I am. I am. And I recommend you do it too. And if we all did it, we'd probably be all getting along right now. So little things like that really send messages of safety 
back to your body. And that's what we're trying to get to. Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. So I've been in a couple of car accidents, so I have a lot of car anxiety. This is like my huge mm-hmm. healing that I'm working on right now, you know? Mm-hmm. And one of my things in the past that I would do to relax in the car is drunk drivers never get hurt. That's a- <laughs> so that's I like sit so there and like true. pretend I'm like drunk and like relax my whole body. Because when my brain thinks I'm going to die, because it does, it does. Yeah. And um, then I'm all super tense. Right. Totally. And then that is if we actually did get in an accident, so I would get true. hurt because I'm so tense. And it's like that all day long. Like you just described, yeah. if we're like in this state of anxiety yeah. and tension, then one more stimulus comes and we crack. Right. But if we're, yeah. if we're relaxed, you literally can't be anxious or exactly yeah that's so true I that's That's so true I mean I do working with car accident victims I I do the same thing because I'm very aware of the chances and it's exactly it or if you're asleep or something like that so on a long trip I'm like I'm out I'm sleeping the ragdoll just goes yeah (laughs) yeah exactly exactly. the third thing I do want to offer to put Mm -hmm. it all together because you mentioned like you, you know you're in fear it is fear that jacks us up So we want to be constantly reassuring ourselves that we are safe. Um, And of course, you have to be safe to reassure you're safe. But in this day and age, majority of time, unless we're like in a war zone or we're in some type of, you know, uh, acute abusive situation, we are safe. Most of the danger signals that we have coming in they don't feel safe to us, but empirically they are safe. So I like to combine it all by asking myself, okay, in this moment, am I safe? You know, just even before us doing this podcast, you know, both of us are a little anxious. Both of us are a little nervous. We'll put your hand on your heart. Am I safe? I'm totally safe. I'm sitting in my office in Toronto, talking to Emily, who's a lovely person. People are going to be listening to it. Maybe they're going to have some judgments. Maybe they're not. It's not going to change anything. I'm totally safe. So that's that cognitive, sending the message down to the body. Hey, body, you're safe. And then when you do relax or breathe, it's the message from the body, sending it back up to the brain saying, yeah, you know, Roger that I'm safe. And then overall, we get both ways, top down, bottom up going, and we can continue on. And that helps us build that safety in our nervous system. Yeah. So we want to combine those things. Yeah, that's so fun. The top down, bottom up, got the message. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then as we do that, then we like we were talking about before model that for our kids. So my daughter was like, what are you doing the other day? I'm like, I just got to breathe. I'm just breathing. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then, and then we can also do our own reparenting with that too, because like we talked about, we've just inherited coping mechanisms that, um, that now we have new brain science and new techniques and we can model that for them and, and and to them. And because we're, you know, let's be straight up here. The reason our kids don't feel safe sometimes (laughs) And so exactly. as we can increase our own safety, then we can be a safe place for them That's to right. learn that yeah. they are safe also. Exactly. And there's just yeah. so many things working against their nervous system yeah. that they need a yeah. safe place to come and That's be reassured right. that they are yeah. safe, but we have to reassure yeah. ourselves. And when you think of the amount of anxiety that we have, um, especially with kids right now, a lot of it 
I mean, anxiety, a lot of it is the body doesn't feel safe. There's an alarm going off in the body that doesn't feel safe. And I think even as, as parents, we have gotten used to living with this low hum of anxiety and that gets passed down because that's all about safety. And so the more, like you said, reparent ourselves, I am safe, this alarm going off in my body, what is it needing from me? It's often needing love, attention, compassion, patience, tolerance, it's needing all the things that we didn't get as a child. And when we can calm that alarm down, calm that anxiety down, then we can pass that on with our kids and we can help them when they're feeling a lot of the anxiety. Yeah, it's just your body doesn't feel safe right now, but you are safe and you're loved and you're supported and, and all those things. It, it becomes like we can, we can sort of break the chain yeah. if we are learning how to regulate ourselves. Yeah, exactly. It's so magical. So can you tell people how they can find more of you and work with you? And all Absolutely. The- I, on social media, I'm at Leah Davidson Life Coaching and my website is also Leah Davidson Life Coaching. And I have a podcast called Building Resilience. And so I talk all about a lot of this stuff. Um, I work with people one-on-one. We do a big focus. I have a program that focuses on stress and burnout and resilience and nervous system resilience. And then I also am doing a training for coaches called the Advanced Training in Nervous System Resilience. And our first cohort is almost, uh, I guess we're a little bit more than halfway. And it's just been an amazing experience because like you said, learning about the nervous system and when you combine it with thought work, it's just magical, magical. Yeah. And that was actually one of the things I actually wanted to talk to you about that we missed. So we'll just take one more quick second. Mm -hmm. Can you touch on real quick? um, I love how you teach about compassion fatigue versus empathy, Mm -hmm. because like you said earlier, in order to even um, have access to empathy and to care, about our kids, right? To care about their emotions, care about what they're going through instead of what they're going through is affecting us, right? Exactly. Then we have to be filled our own cups. We have to be safe and then we can care about them. So tell us more about compassion fatigue versus empathy real quick. Cause right. I think that's so interesting. Yeah. So the difference between empathy and compassion, they are different, especially in how the brain gets activated. Empathy is something that is, is activated more on that subconscious level and will put us up into more of a state of dysregulation because we are in it with the person. So we are feeling it alongside the person, um, which can seem like that's a great thing to to do but in the long term what happens is we are constantly being dysregulated because they are dysregulated and we know that being in that state of dysregulation that state of survival we're not meant to be in so that can wreak havoc on our bodies whereas compassion is something where i am sitting alongside you i can draw from my own personal experiences and that can resonate with me so that i can know what you're going through but i have a little bit of that of that detachment and we feel compassion in that safety zone So those are the difference between compassion and empathy. Now, compassion fatigue was coined years ago, and it's a little bit of a misnomer now because it's not really compassion fatigue, which is the problem. It's empathy fatigue. Although um, Gabor Mate has said the problem is, is we don't have enough compassion for ourselves. But what happens with compassion fatigue is it's a combination of almost caring too much, getting too vested along with what is called secondary traumatic stress, which is just what we talked about earlier. 
I can sit with you and hear about your trauma. And what happens is my body and my nervous system is going to latch onto that information as if I've experienced it as well. So I can walk away from situations actually having symptoms of trauma just by hearing yours. So we have to be very cognizant and very conscious that that can happen. And again, that means that we have to be regulated when we're hearing people's stories of stress, when we're helping people, when we are going out of our way to support, whether it be our kids, our family members, our neighbors, we do need to be taking care of ourselves and being compassionate with ourselves and regulating ourselves so that we're not taking on their problems because that's when burnout happens. Yeah. So compassion fatigue is a secondary traumatic stress plus burnout put together. And when that happens, that means we are completely run dry. Mm -hmm. And if you keep giving and you have no fuel, yep. you will literally be giving of yourself. Mm -hmm. It just, you know, you burn through the fuel. There's no fuel left because you haven't been refueling by regulating yourself by good self-care. You are going to burn through you. Yeah. And and that's not a good place to be in. Yeah. And so self-care is really not selfish. It's really the only way to have right. some fuel in the tank in order right. to, and yeah. some of us know how that feels during pregnancy when the baby is taking all of your nutrients exactly. and you're left with nothing. That's exactly you continue yeah. in that pattern. Once the baby's born and growing up and yeah. because they are so helpless, you do have to meet every yeah. single one of their needs, but then that tends to put us on the back burner and That's our right. needs are important to you. Yeah. And, and self-care while it's not selfish, it's also not necessarily indulgent there yes. is a piece of it which can be indulgent like I you know would love getting massage and and you know uh, getting pedicures and all those things but often self-care doesn't feel good up front and, and that's the thing we think of we want to do things that feel good up front but we also want to be doing things that may not feel great up front we know though that the payoff so things like exercise it doesn't feel great for everybody up front. Not everybody's like jumping, oh, I can't wait to go do my exercise. But we know that it's a kind of self-care that long-term it's gonna help us. So yeah. it's having that balance and, and recognizing that not all self-care is the warm, fuzzy kind of self-care but we still want to do it. We still yeah, want to it's it. meeting basic needs self-care, like yeah. getting enough sleep or that's right. <laughs> sleep and sunlight and nutrition. And, yeah. That is, that is, I mean, the foundational um, aspects of self-care, which a lot of us, we don't even like, do that. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much because I love how you explain that misnomer that it's, you can't fatigue on compassion. Compassion is from a healthy place. Yeah. And, and I think that we beat ourselves up sometimes that we're not more empathetic, mm -hmm. but that again is our own body keeping us safe. That's <laughs> we right. don't need to actually feel everyone else's emotions. We have enough That's right. emotions yeah. in our own body to deal with. To deal with. Yeah. And so when we can regulate ourselves and we can come, when we come with a full cup, then we can actually care about those yeah. we're taking care yeah. of. Yeah. And we do want it. We want to have compassion. We, we want to, but we need to be protecting ourselves when we have it. And I think it just get, gets confused. And, and, 
empathy, you know, there's so many different, different definitions out there about it, but I do think, you know, compassion is the form of empathy, so to speak, that we, we want to be vested in because that's the one that takes care of others, that we are there with them, that we are supporting them and it takes care of ourselves. Yeah. And again, if we don't have it for ourselves, we don't have any to share. So that's right. Exactly. with all the compassion for ourselves, yeah. <laughs> that we're not crazy. It's just our nervous system. That's doing right. And we got to be regulated to access it. You can't access compassion from dysregulation. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Leah. You're for so being welcome. Here. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks. Hi, thanks so much for listening. Have you signed up for your RBC yet? What is an RBC? Well, it's a relationship boost call. And I am gifting 365 of these for free this year. So go to dropthewar.com forward slash appointments to find a time that works for both of us. We'll hop on Zoom for a quick 15 to 20 minutes. And all you got to do is have somebody in mind that you want to improve your relationship with. It's fun. It's easy. It's a good time. You're going to feel amazing afterwards and no strings attached. Just come on, have a great free coaching call, and then go on your way. And you can come back for as many as you need, because we know it's no one and done around here with relationships. So go to dropthewar.com forward slash appointments to find a time that works for both of us. And let's get boosting those relationships. See you there. Bye.